Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for May 21st, 2018. My name is Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I will be your host, and I'm joined in studio, as always, by 538 sports writer Kyle Wagner. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Neil. How you doing? Doing okay. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, got, you know, got a little extra sleep last night. Uh, <laughs> no no reason to stay up late nah, for uh, the outcome nah, nah. of that one, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, one other note, our fellow 538 sports writer and co-podcaster Chris Herring is away today. But... We're going to bring you some basketball chatter anyway. We're going to break down the conference finals further, each of which currently stands at two games to one, although how each series got to that point has been a little bit different in each case. So uh, let's just jump right in on the Western Conference, the game that we were just referencing. The Warriors bounced back from a 22-point road defeat in Game 2 with a 41-point win at home in Game 3 on Sunday night, giving them a 2-1 to lead in the series. None of the games in the series have been decided by fewer than 13 points, but this was quite a turnaround between Game 2 and Game 3. We were pretty down on the Rockets after Game 1. We didn't get much of a chance to talk about their Game 2. In fact, we didn't get any chance. Uh, we didn't record after Game 2. And then they go out and get absolutely crushed. So Kyle, in the big picture, what do you make of the state of the series right now? The state of the series is pretty much the same, right? Where we saw the the Rockets just get crushed in Game One. Uh, we saw them, you know, come back and you know crush the crush the Warriors, and then they still were down a game. Like we still had seen, like, oh yeah. So like, there was one theory on hand, uh, you know, put forth by Nate Silver, our boss, saying, you know what, they won by thirty two points. They won. They they wiped the the Warriors up and down. Except they'd done that after dropping home court. <laughs> they'd done that. After, uh, like, their entire scheme being put into question, uh, under whether it's, like, actually a scheme or not. And, like, in game two, they move, they, uh, they move, they cut, they, they pass the ball, um, they attack Curry, um, they, they did everything that you wanted them to do, um, for the entire game. But that's hard to do against this defense. This defense, like, can run you off of those ideas really quickly. And we saw that in game three, where early on they were attacking Curry all over the place, except if you're attacking Curry every play, the defense gets to lay back and just knows where the point of attack is going to be. And that's one of the few things that you have going for you when you're moving the ball and like moving off the ball. Um, you, you have a little bit more unpredictability. So there was one play pretty early on where uh, Curry's man, Gerald Green, I think, stunted him into a pick. I mean, he's, he's coming from the, the left wing, uh, fakes like he's going to pick, uh, then runs around. And you basically pick Curry onto, like, without uh, having to run a pick and roll for you. Uh, Runs out to the three, gets the ball, drives in. Like, Curry's in the dust. Curry's way behind him. But because everyone knows that they're doing this action for Curry's man, everyone has their eyes on Curry and, like, what's going on. So Draymond can rotate real fast. Okay, we're going to pass a Draymond's man. Okay, well, Draymond's out of the plate now, too. But uh, Kevon Looney can come from across the lane and just, like, what, just destroy Mbamute because everyone knows where they're going to, to be attacking. And so... From the point of view of like, okay, so where do the where's the series stand? Which is where we started with this. We're kind of in the same place where the Rockets had one plan in game two, and it worked, but they got away from it. Where if you're only attacking Curry, you're going to sacrifice ball movement, you're going to sacrifice unpredictability, and 
it seems like like that's their plan, like long term. Except no, it's not really working out. Yeah, and and this team definitely doesn't need any kind of sacrifice on the on the ball movement side. We talked about how ISO heavy they already have been, not just in this series but in the playoffs as a whole. And so, yeah, I think this strategy, like you mentioned, of kind of attacking Curry is hitting a point of diminishing returns, even in the in the series. Uh, in Game 3, for instance, when Curry was the primary defender on James Harden, according to Second Spectrum, Houston only averaged 102.4 points per 100 possessions, which is really bad by Houston Rockets' standards. I mean, this was uh, the best offensive team in the NBA during the regular season. And so if this is the point of attack that you're kind of making the focal point of your offense, going at a guy and you're only averaging 102 points per 100 possessions on those plays— it seems like a recipe to kind of have a bad game. And this was the least efficient offensive game in Game 3 of the entire Rockets season so far this year. They they only put up 87.9 points per 100 possessions overall. Uh, so, you know, the Warriors were doing things on defense to, to prevent them, but I think some of that was, like you mentioned, also the Rockets getting caught up in the head game of where they were trying to funnel plays in the offense that sort of seemed to be self-defeating at times. And, you know, it wasn't just Harden, whose numbers were kind of superficially okay. He had 20 points and 9 assists, but didn't really shoot a great percentage. And more importantly, he didn't really do that much damage from 3 or get to the line all that much. Uh, and that's sort of exactly the kind of stat line that if you're the Warriors and you're looking at that from James Harden, you're like, we will take that in a heartbeat. Uh, and then you tack on Chris Paul only having 13 points, 4 assists, shooting 31% from the floor. Uh, and, and it makes sense that you know, the the Rockets offense has been so limited in this game. Uh what what else did the Warriors do to kind of limit Houston stars, do you think, uh at, at the offensive end? They don't have to do much to limit Chris Paul in this series. Chris Paul is limiting himself or is just limited. So like for James Harden, it's a little bit different where like it seems to be built into the plan where they don't have a backup. So early on every ISO was happening against Chris uh against Steph Curry, I should say. Uh, they were they were seeking him out, finding him like we we just talked about this. But after that, uh, because they were in kind of the mode of we're going to slow down the ball, we're going to attack this one guy. Uh, it seemed like they just fell back into like the game one kind of plan where okay, we're just going to you know take you off the bounce no matter who it is. Except when we're not finding Curry every play, when we're not doing that, but it's still the plan to just kind of playing that about the same way. You look up and it's like. Oh, Harden is taking Clay Thompson off the bounce, or or Chris is trying to take Clay off the bounce, and like that's that's different. Harden's trying to take, or God forbid, Chris is trying to take Draymond Draymond off the bounce, and like that that's not going to work out well. Like the next time Chris Paul beats someone off the dribble in this series, it might be the first time. <laughs> and so, like if and this was built into like the entire idea of this team. So this team is built on redundancy, right? Where you have Chris Paul, you have James Harden. Chris can play a similar style to James, and it's going to give you like approximately the same effect in theory. If Chris can't deliver that anymore, if Chris can't beat his guy off the dribble, if he's getting smothered, taking trying to take the opposing team's power forward or center off the dribble from outside the three point line, and like is getting to the the opposite box and is just getting like swatted. Like, that is a problem. If he can't get his 15 to 17 footer at will, like he always has in his career, that's a problem to where, okay, so now it's all on James. And like, again, we can just 
0.5 sets of eyes at Harden, and that's what's been happening. Yeah, and we talked going into the series about just how difficult this Golden State defense was to crack because of their ability to switch and sort of the positionless nature of the defense. Uh, and they did a much better job when they switched screens in Game 3 than they had done in the previous two games. Uh, for instance, according to our friends at ESPN Stats and Information, uh, they only allowed 0.6 points per chance when they switched on screens in Game 3, as opposed to the 1.1 points per chance that they allowed in Games 1 and 2 under the same set of circumstances. Now, we should also say the Rockets missed a bunch of easy shots. That was one of the big themes, especially when the game was still you know, in some semblance of you know, competitive nature. Uh, according to Second Spectrum, the Rockets went 11 for 25 on shots directly under the basket. And so, you know, if you're having that kind of a performance, we saw, I think we talked about this with the game one between the Raptors and the Cavaliers. That was one of the more epic games along those lines, too, of the Raptors had missed all kinds of chippies around the basket. That is sort of enough to explain a lot of how you end up with a poor offensive night like the Rockets had. And maybe that's a little bit of hope for the Rockets to say, look, this whole team is predicated on three-point shooting, getting to the basket and either drawing a foul or making chances around the rim. And, you know, sometimes you have nights like that. Sometimes you have games where you just have the chances under the basket and you miss them. And the Rockets probably have to feel like we're going to make those shots next time and it will change the complexion of the game. To what point, though? Like, yes, it will, except this was a 41-point game. Is yeah, that's thing. not enough to make up like, the difference. No, no, so, like, I, I saw a different uh, figure than, like, I, I saw the second spectrum figure. I saw a slightly different one. In in either case, um, like it, it, they weren't too too apart, but in either case, if you adjust them up to slightly above average, it doesn't get you within like twenty five points. And at that point, what we're talking about is like, okay, so we need Steph Curry or Kevin Durant to just disappear. Like they need to be erased off the off the face of this game, and like that's tough to do. Like we we saw them, you know, kind of limit Curry in the first two games, or Curry, you know, just wasn't shooting well, whatever that was. Except, yeah, they were within like 10 or 15 or like whatever, uh, points, uh, early in the third. And then, you know, Curry heats up and all of a sudden it's no longer a game. And, and that's just like, yeah, like you're missing shots. You feel like you're in the game. The, the Warriors are, you know, uh, rolling in a way that like you don't think they're going to, going to continue to. We, we, we're not, we haven't seen Steph Curry play like Steph Curry in this series. Uh, but like that's the thing with the Warriors where their redundancies aren't like just the same thing. It's just like, okay, so we can have Kevin Durant, you know, holding down the team. Uh, we can have a game where, you know, Clay Thompson just goes nuts. We can have a game where Draymond Green runs the Draymond Green offense. We just run everything through him and like he's our point guard for a game. We can have a game where Steph Curry just decides to have a, what, 24 point second quarter or second? 26. Yeah. Second half. Uh, and you know, go seven for seven in the third. And like there are, varying just uh ways that the the Warriors can beat you whereas with the Rockets uh they kind of need their their role players to make shots and they need you know Harden and and Paul to to beat you off the bounce and if any one of those things aren't happening it looks bad if all three of them are two out of the three uh it's really bad you end up losing by 40 uh and yeah I think that underscores what the Warriors kind of force you to have to do you have to have kind of a near perfect game or some version of a perfect game of of your type of game just to be able to beat them in, in the playoffs and 
Yeah, let's talk about Curry because, like you'd mentioned, he was struggling in this series. He went into Game 3, uh, 2 for 13 from 3, and even opened Sunday night's game with a 1 for 7 first half from 3. So at one point he was 3 for 20 in the series uh, from 3-point land, and then instantaneously he went 7 for 7 in the third quarter, scored 18 points. He hit four of his five threes in the second half. Like we mentioned, he scored 26 second-half points. And the Warriors happened to outscore the Rockets 72-42 to 42, uh, in the second half of that game. So with Curry, you know, there was a speculation that he's still injured or he's in some kind of slump, he's in some kind of funk. Uh, d- did his performance in this game, was it sufficient to kind of dispel that notion that he's, you know, not feeling like himself? Or do we need more of a sample to kind of know? Was this just a hot streak that a, a shooter of Curry's caliber can kind of find himself on? Or should we expect to see the, the Curry of old from here on out? So my indication with this stuff is usually like the way that the team approaches things. And in game uh, in game three, we saw like in the first quarter... And, like, really into the second a little bit, even though he wasn't shooting well, they were running what looked like Davidson sets for him, like, and Clay, actually. So, like, they were just, like, running them ISO. They were just, like, fe- like just force-feeding him shots in the ball, um, It you know, in parts. Uh, they ran the offense also. But, like, no, like, they've been ISOing a lot, and they ISOed him and Clay. I think... I think the stat is actually that they they have more ISOs uh, per play and overall than, uh, than, than the, the Rockets, Rockets in do. the series. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, they... They clearly think that Curry's there because they wouldn't be, you know, featuring him in that way if it wasn't for, like, if they didn't think that, like, he was all, all the way back. So. Well, maybe one of, one of the arguments, though, before the second half was it did seem like some of those were designed to try to just get him in a rhythm, right? You know, if you just have him shoot enough. There was one play where they actually fed him. I think he did, like, a nice little back cut and got the ball in the lane. And it was nice for him to just see the ball go into the basket. You know, at, at one point, it seemed like he was so frustrated with his stroke. But then he comes out and does what he did in the second half. Yeah, I mean, but that's part. That's also part of uh, part of his game. Like when he like metastasized into MVP, Steph Curry. Over the first three, four years of his career, uh, he was really bad around the basket. Uh, he was uh, like one of the worst in the league around the basket. Then all of a sudden, he's shooting fifty, fifty-five percent around the rim, uh, sixty in his uh, in his uh, MVP year, I think. And that's a that's an entirely different player. So it's it, that's not like something like oh we got to get him going, so we're gonna get him these layups that he you know doesn't no 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 like he's uh, like that's uh, a core part of his diet also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we should also mention that it wasn't just Curry that had a great game in Game Three. The overall I don't know what you want to call it. I hate Hamptons Five death lineup, whatever you want to call it. It was plus nineteen in Game 3 after being minus 14 over the first two games of the series. And that's another way in which you can kind of gauge the health of the Warriors, I think, in general, is look at how that lineup is doing. So time out real quick. It is the death lineup. It's still like... No, Good. I'm glad like, you said that. Like, this this is nonsense. Like, oh, Harrison Barnes is there, so it's no longer the death lineup. It's a different lineup. No, no, no. David Ruffin is in or out of the Temptations. They're still the Temptations. Like, it is... <laughs> it's just... It's called what it's called. And like yes, that's like a good barometer, especially for this team where, uh, like the the matchups against Houston are such that, or we thought they would be such that, uh, they would have a little trouble, uh, kind of playing that lineup, and that like Capella might you know put much enough downward pressure on them, uh, that they would have to maybe adjust to it. But and like in the first two games, it didn't play well. Uh, but in this game, yeah, like I mean, every lineup was good. So I mean, I'm not sure how much you want to take away from that. Um, but, but yeah, it's like if that lineup is playing well, uh, they, they have, you know, that additional gear, which they don't need too many more. 
Um, but but no, like uh, over the past couple of years, they've actually played better with um, in spurts against in some series and um, their offense overall with a traditional big on the floor. Like the what uh, what that offense would uh, get you, or what that lineup would get you, was um, the defense that would get you. Uh, the net rating would be way up there. But like in a lot of ways, like they were just better with a traditional big setting screens because they run around so many off ball screens. With them playing so much ISO ball in this um, in this series, it's it's kind of less necessary. Yeah, and certainly the defense has been stellar uh, in game one and game three in this series, and sort of you know that lineup especially uh, is. is this one that can turn defensive stops into transition points, and they've just really been killing the Rockets in transition all series long. So looking ahead, how much trouble are the Rockets in right now? Because, you know, they're down 2-1. They're still on the road. Uh, we should note the Warriors have not lost a home playoff game since Game 7 of the 2016 Finals, so that's 16 straight playoff wins at home for Golden State, which according to the Elias Sports Bureau is the longest home win streak in NBA postseason history. They just broke, I believe, the Chicago Bulls of the 90s record uh, with that win over Houston on Sunday. Uh, and if they're down 3-1, all of a sudden you're in a spot where only 11 of the 244 teams in NBA postseason history that have faced that deficit have come back to win. Never mind the fact that the Warriors are one of those teams that has blown a 3-1 lead. They also came back from down 3-1 earlier in the 2016 playoffs against the Thunder. So Kyle, what do you think going uh, going forward? Do you think the Rockets you know, have any chance to kind of come back? What, what do they need to, to kind of flip about the way that the first three games have gone? Do they just need to have game two you know, materialize for them again and again? Is it just that simple as make your shots uh, and and have, you know, Steph Curry bottled up and, and hope for the best? Uh, or, or what do they need to do now? Right, let's run that back for a second. What is the actual list of things that they, they need to do like game two? They need to make shots, pass the ball, move the ball, like move off the ball. So we'll call that two things. Like, Role players make yeah, shots yeah, yeah. also. Pass the ball and move off the ball. Um, so make shots, you know, one, two, three. Uh, have Steph Curry, you know, not play well, and uh, what are, what else are we putting onto that? So let's let's see. Four things have to go right, and like nothing can go wrong. Like so, over the course of like the next four games, like nah. I mean, I mean, yeah, they're in trouble. Like define trouble. They can't get swept. Uh, they get another home game at least. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, um, yeah, I mean, but we talked about the Rockets all season as a team that. You know, these moral victories of not getting swept in the Western Conference Finals or what have you seem beneath the the level that this team played. And we should say that uh, by losing as much as they did in Game 3, that was the worst loss in postseason history by a team that won 65 or more games during the regular season. So in some ways, this is, we talked about this going into the series as a referendum on sort of the legitimacy of Houston as a team in that kind of all-time caliber tier of historical teams. And, you know, now you're telling me that they should be happy accepting not getting swept, I guess. No, and like, so, and I was, I was leading the charge on that. Um, so, but here's the thing. Like, that is based on, like, expectation of, like, what we expect this team to look like in a series. And we'd base that all, all season long based on all season long over what they were doing, um, on the resume. And if Eric Gordon is just going to play the way that Eric Gordon has, you know, game two aside, uh, over the last month and a half, basically, then that, that, the fabric of that team changes considerably. If Chris can't beat anyone off the dribble the way that he clearly can't in this series and really has had trouble doing all playoffs long, that is a problem. And that changes the way that we think about this team where during the regular season, 
Chris's uh, pick and roll numbers, Chris's ISO numbers, weren't quite to Harden's uh, level, but they were very close. They were near the top of the league at a very high volume, and we expected that to you know continue through the playoffs. We expected them to go go one two the way that Westbrook and Durant would, the way that you know these uh, dual superstars would that they would have. Uh, production from uh, both the Harden lineup and the Paul lineup and we put them together and in the middle of the season the the Harden and Paul lineup just kind of uh, came together and like it was like okay so yeah everything's online everything's gonna work um, and I feel like I'm repeating myself but if you if you take one of those things out if you take multiple of those things out and Ariza hasn't played well and like the other the other uh, shooters haven't played well but like Gordon was a big big part of that so if you take Gordon away and if you diminish Paul the way that he's been diminished our expectations can't be the same unless you think that like all of a sudden Chris is going to show up in game four and just like be killing guys uh you know just uh kind of carving up the court that that isn't doesn't appear to be who he is in this series doesn't appear who he is uh right now anyway I don't know if he's just worn down and tired he's been a guy who in past playoffs he's had to do so much that like he's not like this you know super you know durable athlete where he's uh, whatever like he got tired in those clipper series like he was visibly tired from carrying the team Harden is another one who just got tired in series and says okay put them together um and maybe it'll be better but but no like these are two guys who have worn down over the course of postseasons in the past and Paul especially Harden still looks fine he just you know didn't make shots um we'll see what you know happens uh, going forward in the series but but no like I don't think you can expect you can reasonably expect Paul to to be a different player than we've seen through this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what it's worth, the Rockets still have a thirty eight percent chance of making the NBA Finals, according to our Carmelo model, which has loved the Rockets all season. Uh, that means the Warriors have a sixty two percent chance. So we'll see how that one plays out as the rest of the series goes. Uh, let's switch over to the East, where the Cavs came back to Cleveland in an O two hole, and they may have changed the direction of the series with their impressive one sixteen eighty six win at home on Saturday. They never trailed. Kyle, was this just sort of good old fashioned playoff home cooking? Uh, was it the Cavs being their streaky selves? We talked about how they live and die with a three. They made a ton of threes in that game, or is this sort of that classic Cavs rope a dope where you know they kind of hang back early in a series? They don't mind if they go down. They they feel out the opponent and. And then they mount a comeback. So number one, this was LeBron. This was Le- LeBron's numbers. Don't pop on this, but this was LeBron front to back. Um, one, Isn't it always LeBron? It is always LeBron, but like this was LeBron on defense, which we haven't seen. He was all over the court. He was swarming. He was getting back into plays. He was working his way back into plays when he got beat. Um, and he was just like communicating. He was um, he was like the the focus of the defense, and like from from him, everything else like came out in the way that it used to in Miami. It looked like a slower version of the Miami defense, but it was a thing where from from jump, from tip, he was uh like he and the entire Cleveland defense was swarming the Boston the Boston guys in a way that they didn't seem prepared. We'll get back to that, I'm sure, in a second. But the other thing is, it's also Boston. Boston has been bad on the road. All playoffs long. They're one in five overall. Their offense drops per game 17 points. Their field goal percentage drops from 47 to 41. They allow seven more points, uh, per game on defense. Like every, uh, aspect of the game, they have a lot more, tur- uh, they, they turn the ball over more. Like everything gets worse on the road going through the Buck series, going through the Philly series, and now this series. Uh, they, in which is, you would expect from a young team. And they, this team doesn't play that young. 
But but yeah, like this is one of the ways that it's told on them through throughout the, the playoffs. Yeah, what do you think accounts for that? I mean, so they're nine and zero at home in in the playoffs is the flip side of that one and five. Uh, we've talked about Brad Stevens as a coach. Is is this something that you know coaching should be able to kind of correct for uh, if you're kind of coming out flat in these uh, in these playoff games on the road or what what accounts for that split? I guess. Um, so, I mean, I think those are two separate things, like uh, coming out flat for this game and coming out flat for uh, previous games. Like, oh, I mean, one is like they just haven't had that much experience in the playoffs. Like, yes, they went to the conference finals last season, but uh, people were in much different roles than they are now. And like Rozier like, wasn't really playing much. Like Marcus Smart, like well, Marcus had a, had a real uh, shot. But like aside from Horford, like there's been a lot of turnover in this team. So, like, one, it's, like, not, like, in, as experienced as you would expect a returning conference finalist to be. Uh, two is, in this game, not only were they dealing with LeBron on, like, four days rest, was it, uh, to where, like, he he has had, you know, endurance issues in the playoffs. He tried to play the entire Game 7 uh, against the Pacers and just, like, couldn't. It just it wouldn't happen for him. He had cramping, um, which has been a thing through his career because he's so big and, like, uh, dense. But yeah, like on top of that, uh, this was just them not understanding, oh, so if we go up 3-0, the series is over, right? That's just the way that the NBA playoffs work. That's the assumption you can make, at least. Uh, so in essence, like if not in, you know, in actuality, this was a closeout game. And so like they haven't seen a veteran team, like especially with LeBron, uh, playing, uh, not to get closed out. And so yeah, that looks, that looks different. Uh, and like I think it's just, natural not to expect it to look the way that it looks like we've seen it over and over with teams uh so now they know now they know yeah they maybe maybe it was a learning experience for them yeah the i think lebron has never trailed 3-0 in a series i think i saw that stat or at least uh with with um this incarnation of the Cavs. i guess he was down 3-0 in that series they got swept in the finals in 2007 but you know one of the other things was he got some help in this game, which has been kind of a recurring issue throughout the playoffs as to whether LeBron's teammates will actually make shots. Uh, in this particular case, all five Cavs starters scored in double figures. That was only the second time that that happened all postseason. Uh, and really, you can kind of use that as a barometer also in addition to the three-point shooting as to whether this team is being successful or not because uh, according to ESPN Stats Information, the Cavs supporting players are scoring 14 more points per game in the wins that they've had in the postseason compared to the losses. Uh, so it's a little telling when you see 13 points out of George Hill, who had been kind of a ghost throughout the not just this series, but you know the playoffs in general. Uh, but the big thing also is that uh, James's teammates are still shooting a percentage 28 points higher on passes from James than they are on passes from anybody else. And that's kind of telling about how they still are just as reliant as humanly possible on one player, in this case, LeBron James. Right. And that's the thing where, like, not only is he the only facilitator, but, like, they have no one. And we've talked about this over and over, but they have no one who else who can they really, like, reliably create their own shot. And so that's why the George Hill thing is, like, so important, where... Oh, yeah, like in the first quarter, I think he had 11 of those 13 in the first quarter. Um, I remember looking at it, it's like, is George Hill going to score 30? And like, no, of course not. Uh, but, but yeah, like George Hill being able to just like uh, catch the ball and like really triangle concepts, catch the ball. If there's a clear lane, drive the ball, like, which is like not – triangle gets credit for that. That's just like basketball principles. Like if you catch the ball, there's a lane drive. 
Uh, but he was able to do it. Like he was able to catch clean, drive clean, and that's something that we haven't seen as much. But like the passes were cleaner. Like, and this is a thing that uh, this Cavs team has suffered from a lot, uh, which I wanted to do, but like it's really hard to actually to to get uh, hard metrics on it. Uh, but this Cavs team doesn't catch the ball clean. Not just catch the ball clean. It doesn't throw the ball clean. Like the the po- passes don't come into the pocket clean. And so the release times on stuff like uh, when that happens. You don't get you don't get a shot off, or you get like a worse shot. It's contested than rather than yeah. open, yeah. Or it's just awkward. And in this game, it looked cleaner. It looked like everyone was playing with purpose. Everyone was uh, focusing and you know you know throwing better passes. And this sounds like coach speak of oh everyone was you know engaged in the game, but it was clear that like the Cavs were just engaged they were locked in the entire game like it was obvious to look at yeah uh and we could talk about that on the opposite end of the court too um they contested 56 boston shots which was their easily their most contested shots of the of the whole series they had almost as many deflections in game three alone as they did in the first two games combined so i think like you mentioned at the top of the segment you know led by lebron kind of quarterbacking the defense they just came out with a lot more effort and a lot more aggression on defense. And that seemed to give Boston a lot of troubles. Uh, For instance, Al Horford really wasn't that much of a factor. Terry Rozier, not that much of a factor. Uh, I know it's difficult to kind of pick out the numbers in a game that was this lopsided, kind of from the very beginning sequences. But it does seem like when those two guys are succeeding, Boston is able to, you know, play its type of game, especially with Horford. And when he only scores seven points, that's why you end up with a number like they were minus 23 with him on the court in game three. Yeah. I mean, like there were, there are a lot of lineup things to go into this, like Tristan Thompson. I yeah. Was I was going to ask about Tristan Thompson, who once again, seems like he's kind of this X factor for the Cavs that, you know, people kind of write him off and then he comes in and, you know, makes things difficult for the opposing team's best big man. Well, not only him, they, they decided to go big as, as a rule where Larry Nance also played 21 minutes and they were pretty good minutes also where he was, he and Thompson were both just kind of things where, okay, so we're clearly not as young and as, you know, bouncy as, as this team, but it doesn't mean like we just have to, have to fold on that and just, you know, play just Kyle Corver at like four lineups, uh, stuff like that where, where we're not even going to try like love at five lineups until like we're out of the game in game two, basically. So, uh, yeah, like this was, uh, this was a, a change in course for the Cavs. Um, and the coaching discussion has get, gotten shouty on both ends of just, you know, the Brad Stevens stands on the one side and the, the, the Ty Lue stands on the other side being like, there are, there are two great coaches in the series, whatever, but like th- that's a legitimate, um, decision by, by Lou that, uh, like worked out well in their favor. Okay. So having said all that, Boston still leads two to one. They are coming off their worst loss of the entire season. Uh, they're going to be on the road again. I mean, it seems like everything is kind of pointing toward this series being tied up uh, after four games. And then, you know, it does seem like it's playing out the same as we've seen from the Cavs in the past uh, playoff runs that they've had, where it's just, you know, this team is remarkably difficult to close out for a team that has as many flaws as as it has. And as we've pointed out all season long, uh, it, it's the LeBron factor, but it's also a lot of other ways in which just veteran teams are really, really tough to close out. And that seems to be sort of, you know, what this series will, will might come down to over the remaining games. Yeah. I mean, it's a thing where they begin to play to their, to their potential a little bit more. 
um, which is, you know, it's tough to get a veteran team to, to, you know, lock in all the time. But yeah, when they're being closed out, um, especially in that first closeout game, especially in a game to go down 3-0, uh, oh yeah, every, everyone is, everyone is just on the same page. Everyone is like willing to, willing to communicate. Everyone's willing to talk on defense and, you know, you know, abide by the plan, not, you know, go, uh, go off freelancing on offense. Uh, in the second game of that, it's, it's a little tougher, uh, traditionally anyway. So, so yeah, like Boston has struggled all season, but they got that one road win, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll, we'll have to see if Cleveland could stop being petty to itself, uh, and, you know, every time they, they screw up on defense or something like that. And, and more importantly, what that defense, what that defense led by LeBron looks like on regular rest and not four days rest. Yeah, that's a great point, uh, especially given that this team, just in general, in the kind of regular ebb and flow of the NBA schedule, was an outright bad defensive team for the entire season. Uh, and so it's fair to question whether they can sort of, whether it's through veteran leadership or coaching or just knowing the stakes, summon that same effort that they showed on defense in game three. Because it seems like that's as significant and as essential a part uh, of that win as the shooting percentages or LeBron's offensive numbers. Right. And again, like, so we talked about this with the other series. We should talk about it here. In game three, the Celtics shot 27% from three in the, the Cavs shot 50%. In game three, Cal Corver went five for five. In game for three, LeBron James only had to take 12 shots, which is, he had 10 free throw attempts. So like he, it's not like he only took 12 shot shots, but, uh, that was his workload. Like typically his workload is he's going to have to get like eight, 10, 12 free throw attempts on top of 20, 25 field goal attempts. Uh, and that's what it has been for this series. So yeah, George Hill stepping up. Uh, was a big deal. So yeah, like getting points out of like most of the roster, like that was a big deal. If that doesn't continue also and LeBron has to do more on offense, which he has to do, has had to do for most of this season, then that defense also probably doesn't look the same. So yeah, a lot of things broke right, um, uh, by design by the Cavs, but like, we're gonna have to see if like that actually, you know, stays in place for game four. Yeah, and as we've seen from this team, it's just like an absurdly make or miss team where, you know, if they're if they're feeling hot on a given night, they can look as good as anybody in the league. But if their shots aren't falling, you know, they end up losing and and it not being even close. You could say that about most teams in the league, but I feel like the Cavs are just on another level of make or miss, uh, even within a make or miss league. Right, especially because when they miss, then all of a sudden they're in transition defense, which is like a big, big problem for them, especially, especially against this team, which has just been running them into the ground. Yeah, and we should say, according to Carmelo, the Celtics still have a 62% chance of reaching the finals. In fact, both series are at 62% for the favorites right now. Uh, what a coincidence. Okay, that'll do it for this week's show. We're going to talk to you later in the week for even more playoff analysis. Our podcast producers this week are Tony Chow and Nina Ernest. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. Please keep sending us your questions and comments at podcast at 538.com. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are also there, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Be sure to review and rate the show. It helps others discover the program. For Kyle and Chris, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.